0: Because you're working with them to get to their goal, it's much easier to put the deal together. I, I describe it as dragging your chair to their side of the desk, which is a, it's a metaphor for collaboration, but it's actually quite literal because you often sit alongside them. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with
1: business strategist, speaker and author Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you
0: scale your business and achieve a bigger
1: impact. Hey, Gavin here. Welcome back to the Business Mastermind Podcast and to another in my mini series, Buy, Build, and Sell. Today, I've got the great pleasure of welcoming Jeremy Harbour of Harbour Club onto the Business Mastermind podcast. I first met and attended uh, one of Jeremy's programmes, the Harbour Club, in October of 2019 at London Heathrow. Got a huge amount from the event, thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was great great pleasure to get jeremy onto the business mastermind podcast as part of this series we go and we talk about the importance of um, structuring deals in such a way that you protect people you protect wealth and then the importance of financial engineering you'll hear more about the deal pie and the ways that we can structure a deal and the importance of capital events here's my conversation now with jeremy harbour of the harbour club Hello and welcome back to the Business Mastermind Podcast and to my special mini-series, Buy and Build. Uh, It's a great privilege to welcome on uh, a mentor of mine, uh, Jeremy Harbour. Jeremy is an investor, author, business expert, speaker, and uh, very, very well known as probably the Founding sort of influence in paving the way as to how people can actually grow their businesses through acquisition. So, Jeremy, welcome, very much, a big welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Thank you very much, Gary. So, um, at a time when there is a lot of instability in the marketplace, that businesses are unfortunately going to go bust, and that acquisition presents an opportunity for growth it's very easy to get seduced or uh, about the excitement of a a purchase and um but there are risks aren't there and I I, I want to create a balanced conversation where it's it's not all sunshine and rainbows here it's just there's a you, you could catch a cold couldn't you
0: Oh absolutely yeah, I mean look the uh, if you go into this not knowing how to structure deals properly and uh, and how to yeah to to do, deal with the legals, um, you can lose everything um, you know uh, you can lose your house the whole lot and yeah, i 'm not just talking about personally guaranteeing things here i 'm talking about um, you know taking out even unsecured debt can still come back and, and you know bite you on the ass and i think there's a really big challenge right now, which is that um, there are lots of opportunities. There's lots of fantastic opportunities. If you do them right, you can grow by, you know, I always talk about this growing by a year's worth of sales in an afternoon type of transaction, but you have to do it right. And unfortunately there is a whole bunch of people out there that are pitching ideas around how to do no money down deals who actually don't have the experience or understanding of it. They're really just trying to sell, you know, seminars and things like that. And, and, some of the stuff that I've heard recently on uh, YouTube and stuff like that's been downright dangerous. I mean, I'll give you a couple of really quick, simple examples. One, uh, one of these so-called experts said, basically, you know, this is a great time for your business to go and acquire another business that's distressed. So you can use your company effectively to, uh, you know, borrow money from the bank and go and acquire another uh, uh, business. Well, of course, if you buy a business that's distressed, um, there's a chance that that will not, uh, work out. So if you've borrowed money to do a deal that doesn't work out, obviously you take on huge amounts of risk. And if you use your business, the one that you've spent years building and developing, as the, com- the contractee in that agreement, so if that's the one that's signing the contract, then you take on huge amounts of what's called contracting party risk, which is completely unnecessary. Now, um, anyone that's done M&A and understands it will know that if you have a company right now and you want to you know, acquire that distressed competitor, you would do it using an arm's length entity like an SPV, and you would have to structure that in a way to make sure that, uh, that you know it's not a uh, yeah the the, the, peer, the corporate veil is not going to be pierced. Um, that very same person giving dishing out bad advice um, was also saying that you can use uh, you know effectively find this company, borrow money against that company, and give that money to the previous owner as part of the acquisition capital. This is called a leverage buyout, where you use the company's assets to uh, to buy it out. Um, But essentially, um, even if you have unsecured debt, so if you borrow money against a company, um, effectively what's happened is that that company has borrowed money. Now, that company has creditors, people that it owes money to, Now, your fiduciary duty as a director or the fiduciary duty of the directors of that company is to make sure that the creditors of the company are paid first. If you've given that money to the previous owner, you've received a benefit because you now have the shares in that company. So even though that debt might not be personally guaranteed, if that business gets in trouble at any point in the future before that debt has been uh, repaid, you could find that you're being chased personally for that debt because you are the person that effectively preferred yourself as a creditor by taking that money out. So these people make it sound really simple. Well, you just get some, you know, factoring facility or invoice finance that gives you eighty percent of the debt as you give that to the previous owner, and bingo, the business is yours. Um, those, it, you know, looks great on paper, but you can really repent at leisure with these kind of decisions. You need to make sure that you know what you're doing when you go into these uh, transactions, because that kind of advice can get you in you know, just tons and tons of trouble.
1: So you obviously advocate different kind of uh, ways of structuring a deal that uh, save you from that uh, contracting party risks, save you from the risk of uh, um, having preferred yourself as a creditor over and above the creditors of the business. So w- what other sort of funding mechanisms do you, do you advocate?
0: Yeah, so um, I look on the Harvard Club, we talk about 14 different deal structures, and it really depends on uh, what, what you're looking at in terms of the type of transaction. If a business is insolvent, in other words, if it's unable to meet its debts when they fall due, the business is intrinsically worthless. The shares are not worth anything. Um, Now it could be worth something if you're able to turn it around and sell it for more money later. So in those sort of scenarios, typically that business will sell for a pound for 100% of its shares, or you might take uh, an 80% stake and leave them as a 20% sort of rider in there, just because they put their you know their their life's work in there and they they want to get some value. You know, there's also a kind of uh, this idea that people don't want to give you the dusty painting from the attic and then find out it was a Picasso. You know, So they want to know that if, they're, if you do make millions out of this thing that they're in some way going to be taken care of. But remember, that type of business is the business that's about to call an insolvency practitioner. So they're about to close the doors, send everybody home, everybody's lost their jobs, all the customers have lost the money that they've put in and haven't received their goods yet. All of the creditors that supplied goods and services to the company have a total loss you know that it, it really is a you know a, a basket case at that point and you buy it for a pound and you have that one last roll of the dice so you know you go in you financially re-engineer it you renegotiate with creditors you may have to go through either a soft insolvency process or a hard insolvency process in order to restructure the, the balance sheet and then ultimately you're selling the you know the fixed business on afterwards so um uh, but that should all be done at arm's length through this uh you know special purpose vehicle not through a company that you're currently running
1: and you know it's not for the faint of heart is it in terms of turning a business around you need to have knowledge and experience in what you need to do for a turnaround and presumably knowledge and experience within that sector as well
0: well, oh, yeah. So in a, in a distressed business, it's um, uh, you definitely need to know how to deal with creditors, deal with staff. Um, you know, you, you are getting into the thick of the business and, and by no means is it an easy process. I mean, one of the one of the great things about the community that, that I have, the Harbour Club, you have this, um, you know, there's lots of people in there of different levels of experience. Some of them have done lots of this kind of stuff. Some of them are consultants that specialize in that sort of. Uh, things so partnering up with people that you can work with in those scenarios is is, is you know a, a great way to uh, 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 to do these things. Um, but then of course um, you know not every deal is distress. So obviously with a distress deal you have to spend a, a good amount of time uh, in the business. But there are many many other types of businesses out there as well. Um, many people would have heard the whole baby boomer transition challenge which is that you know um, uh, all these baby boomers are retiring uh, most small to medium-sized businesses belong to baby boomers and they need to transition out of them and um, what a lot of them are finding is they get to this point in their career they've spent decades building up a business and now their only choices are to well their kids don't want it because it's not in blockchain, you know, marijuana or something some <laughs> sexy like that um, there uh, uh, they aren't natural buyers for these businesses. They're, I mean, it literally is a very saturated uh, uh, market. So quite often they're faced with just giving it to the competitor down the road. And, and this competitor, they've spent their entire lives hating. And it's almost like they give them their business. They know that it's just going to be asset-stripped. They're going to take yeah. the customers, they're going to sack everybody, they're going to you know, burn the building to the ground. And that yeah. is their last work you know, done. So actually anything you can offer them that's better than that quite often is uh, is quite appealing. And, um, and you know, of course, they've been in business for many years, so trust is a really big issue. Anyone that's been in business knows that there's a lot of idiots out there, there's a lot of people that will screw you over. So you have to build trust. I mean, we one of the strategies I quite like in that space, we call it, on the Harvard Club, we call it a Wibo, a work in, buy out. But basically you effectively go and, and work for them. You you, uh, the, the best way to do this is kind of position a sort of consulting contract with them where you say, <clears throat> I'm going to fix X, Y, and Z. And you know, if you think about baby boomer businesses, they're often not that tech savvy. So it could be something like building a new sales and marketing funnel, it could be about getting their online presence a lot better. It could be doing some financial engineering to improve their profit or to improve their cash. But anyway, you do this consulting contract, which you can be paid for. They can pay your retainer to do this. So you get income while you're doing it, but you get an equity kicker on success. So when you've shown you can deliver what you said you would, you get a percentage of their business in return because you've helped create you know, value. <laughs> and, the, and the kind of the pitch to them is, look, I'll take this 10% stake for doing X, Y and Z and then we'll sell it together. You know, I'll help you sell the business. And then you could effectively pitch them, buying the rest of the business off them over time. You know, some installment payments from the business's own money to buy them out. It's called vendor finance. Um, it's a very commonly used strategy. But it's quite hard to pitch a vendor finance deal if you're the kind of man just who's walked in off the street. But if you're already a shareholder, you've already delivered, you've already been in their office, you know, a few days uh, over, over a period of time and you've built up that relationship and that rapport, you're then seen as that kind of trusted, safe pair of hands that they would ha- you know, happily hand over their precious child to. So, you know, that, that's quite a nice structure in those scenarios, but there's lots of other you know, ways you can do that, too
1: you build the trust you build the respect you also get a, an, an extended kind of due, due diligence process <laughs> warts and all exactly. don't you
0: yeah you find it's warts and all isn't it you know everything about the business at that point you're in there running running the thing so uh yeah it can be it can be very very powerful
1: and you you actually become become the default successor that the business owner would never yeah. would never have so that's a that's a why by a working buyout. what's another common structure that serves to protect you but also is an effective way of securing a business
0: i mean yeah so of course there's there's quite a few i mean um uh, the deal pie is quite a popular one so um if anybody goes onto our website harvardclub events.com you can download a free report which explains the deal pie structure um and that's basically about um uh you know trying to figure out what their big what their headline number is, what is it they want to get for this business, and then figuring out a way that they can get there that doesn't involve you handing over any cash up front, but you use different components of this pie effectively to build up a value proposition. And and that's very powerful for a number of reasons. The main one is it's kind of the... um, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people, you know, which is where you agree with everybody, even the ones you disagree with. It's kind of, uh, they say they want a million pounds instead of laughing in their face and sucking your teeth, which is the traditional kind of negotiation. Uh, you know, model for second-hand car salespeople, um, (laughs) kind of say, uh, well, hang on a minute, let's see see how we get you to your one million. So you're not agreeing with them. You're not saying, let's see how we get you to your one million. You figure out a structure that could get them to a million under a certain set of circumstances. And because you're working with them to get to their goal it's much easier to put the deal together I, I describe it as dragging your chair to their side of the desk which is a it's a metaphor for collaboration but it's actually quite literal because you often sit alongside them planning this out on a, you know on a laptop as um, you know, to how it's gonna work
1: Hi, Gavin here. I wanted to say a huge thank you. Thank you to all of you who have bought a copy of my book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. The feedback's been excellent. Copies have gone to all four corners of the planet. I'm so grateful and humbled. I also wanted to let you know that now the audiobook version is out. The audio format can be got from audible.co.uk or audible.com or from my website, surviveandthrive.cc. It was a lot of fun recording in the audiobook and hopefully you'll pick up my passion as i take you through all the insight strategies and case studies to help you not only survive but thrive through uncertain times so go to audible.com or audible.co.uk to check out survive and thrive by gavin preston or grab it from my website surviveandthrive.cc one of the things that um i for me it was a highlight of the harbour club conversation the harbour club training was the financial engineering mm. and so i'd just like you to talk to a little bit about that because there's some there is some clever things that you may appear clever to to, to, to some people things that you can do that would ge- help you to generate greater profitability and greater balance sheet strength also
0: yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's tons and tons of things you can do with financial engineering. So I would say the financial engineering we talk about in the Harbour Club is broadly broken into a, a few different components. The first component I would probably describe as just being good housekeeping is kind of stuff every business should do, but hardly any do. Um, and so it's taking them through that little bit of good housekeeping. And often that good housekeeping stuff can have a really massive impact on the business because just, you know, it's, it's often not done right. The next one is kind of the... The balance sheet tinkering, so playing around with when you recognize revenue, when you recognize costs, that can have a huge impact on profitability. It's all, you know, you don't have to sack anybody or do anything. It's all stuff that just happens in the, um, uh, you know, in the in the balance sheet. Um, there's some, you know, bigger stuff you can look at. Debt for equity swaps is one that I particularly like. So if you have, you know, one creditor that's uh, owed quite a lot of money, obviously on your balance sheet, that will show as a liability that you owe them all this money. Well, if there's a risk that the business goes into liquidation, they will lose all of that money. Um, and so if you can reach out to them and effectively say, hey, how about we work together on this? If you swap your debt for equity, we'll massively increase the value of the business, and then we sell it, and you'll get more than you were owed. And if you don't do this, by the way, the risk is you'll lose everything. You'll yeah, yeah. You won't see a penny of it. Now, you know, if you have a, if you have a creditor that you owe 300 grand to, that balance sheet has a three hundred grand liability. If they convert that into equity, effectively, you now have three hundred grand worth of paid-up capital, and that liability is vanished off the balance sheet. So you almost get like a double impact in terms of the upside to the uh, uh, to the business's balance sheet. So it can be hugely powerful, and obviously, the uh, the creditors um, often see that as yeah better than taking a total bath on the whole uh, on
1: the whole lot. Um, of course uh, any deal isn't just about the acquisition it's about the profitable either trading or growth of that business afterwards to the point that you then sell it or or, or move it up in, and incorporate it into into a larger entity so is that do you think one thing that some business owners or some uh, newbies to the world of acquisition underestimate the 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 responsibility, even if it's an investor owner rather than an, an operator, underestimate that they've still got to ensure that business is profitable.
0: Well, so um, look, getting it into profit fairly quickly is actually relatively straightforward. Retaining that profitability over the longer term is a much, much more difficult uh, uh, thing to you know cat to skin, if you like. Um, and uh, you know, so my my advice always is, unless you want to be an operator, unless you are building an empire, wanting to run these businesses, I would always go for the capital event. So sell the business, get the capital event, sell it to somebody that wants to run it, wants to develop it, wants to uh, grow it. Um, I would always go for the capital event, take that you know, cash off the table and use that to uh, you know, generate a passive income stream for yourself. Because I think the biggest mistake I made and, and a mistake that so many other entrepreneurs make as well is hanging on to businesses for too long thinking, well, this is generating profit, it's generating cash, why would I sell it because it's giving me an income, until it doesn't. Um, and, uh, and I figured out, you know, uh, after, after a couple of bumps on, on my head, that you don't really make money running businesses, you make money when you sell them. Um, yeah. And that was, a, that was a tough one for me to, to cross because if anything was ever profitable, it felt like a really bad time to sell it. Um, so what you ended up doing is when they were doing badly, you wanted to sell them, and when they were doing good, you wanted to keep them. And of course, you know, a a business doing well is, uh, you know, um, you know, great, but they don't do well forever. Um, they do generally have a a turn at some point.
1: And every market has its economic cycles and every business has its own life cycle. And yeah, I, I, I must admit, I, I, I think for experience close to home with my father and set up a number of small businesses and, uh, each one of those, he missed the exit moment, the one where he was likely to have monetized it. You yeah. know, oh, I've, do, have. I've done that a few times. I mean, uh, I, had a, I had a call center business
0: once. It had a, had a three-year contract with the world's largest insurance company and <clears throat> it made 200 grand profit in a quarter. So it was on well, a run right. to 800 grand a year cash. And so I thought, right, I'm keeping that. It generates 200 grand a quarter and it's got a contract with the world's largest insurance company. The world's largest insurance company was AIG that went bust in 2008 and the whole business disintegrated. And uh, I always say the reason I didn't sell it was because it had a three-year contract with the world's largest insurance company. And the reason I should have sold it is because it had a three-year contract with the world's largest insurance company.
1: Yeah, what a great lesson, though. And yeah, unfortunately,
0: don't you hate the lessons you have to learn more than once? <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, and and it's that. What's the phrase? You know, the parable of earning in the hand is worth two in the bush. Is that that point about you take the money off the table now? Exactly. So you've done the turnaround. You've yeah, added this value. Is, this is
0: this is being beaten around the head with a bush. I think. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> So you've done the turnaround, you've added value to that business, and uh, you've you've shaped it ready for sale. Yeah. Um, then, then that's the time to exit. Here, yeah. Here's another one. So a client of mine, genuine situation, a client of mine at a point where their business has been affected by COVID, in an industry that's been affected by COVID, gets an opportunity, gets approached at a time when they are um, the valuation isn't good because of obviously covid um it makes sense strategically for them to be a part of a bigger organization security etc but their valuation is depressed as a result of that yeah Yeah. so so when you're on the other side of the fence and um because there will be people listening that may well be getting approached maybe from other club members how how do you how do you balance that piece around um, that tension I think between the owner wanting to maximize um, you know the money they take off the table now and the reality of what the hard numbers of that business is demonstrating right here and right now
0: yeah I mean look, we're in a we're in a period of maximum instability right now um, and uh, uh, and so you know are when it comes to valuation are we catching a falling knife is this gonna get a lot worse or are we going to have this massive bounce back? Now, I've often said I've got balls, but none of them are crystal. It is not very straightforward to make that decision. Um, the one thing I would say is that I think in certain industries, there's going to be quite a lag to recovery. Um, and in every industry, I think there is going to be some pain from just the, the massive change in the economy that's going on right now. Um, I mean, uh, it's very different in different places. So, I mean, the UK is very much a service-driven economy. I think the latest stats are that we're going to drop about 12% on GDP. Um, But the US is more likely to be, you know, 20% or something because about 70% of the US economy is consumers and all the consumers are out of jobs right now. So, it's uh, a very different um, story depending on where you are. Uh, in the world, and then, of course, what industry you're in and what subset of that industry and, and, and everything else. So my advice generally is, uh, is when there's an opportunity to sell, you should always consider it and consider it very seriously. And, um, you know, I, I would just have a look at where they are. Are they burning cash right now? In other words, are they in a negative position, in which case it might be a good idea to take that exit offer right now because you just don't know how long the bleeding is going to carry on and they could bleed to death. Um, so if there's an option on the table, take it and uh, and work. And, and I agree, this is a great time to consolidate. Big is beautiful. Um, you know, <clears throat> if you're in any industry um, that's affected by COVID, it's a great time to you know consolidate that industry and bring a lot more uh, companies together. And you know, three three of the tactics that we talk about a lot on Harbor Club are, uh, are roll-up strategies, consolidation strategies but don't use lots of debt. Um, so uh, you know that that's a great idea right now. If you can not borrow money, but Consolidate your industry and buy your competitors. Um, I think that's a really smart move.
1: So, talk to me a little bit more about roll-up and agglomeration.
0: Yeah, so there's a, there's a few different roll-up strategies um, that we talk about. Agglomeration is probably our flagship. It's uh, um, it's a governance structure that we patented and, uh, and and have approved for you know a public company. Um, but basically, it's a way that small to medium sized businesses can. Uh, do an IPO, can go public. Now, normally, a small business can't go public because they're too small. The cost of compliance is too high. The reporting requirements are, uh, you know, too much of a pain in the ass. Um, but there are huge advantages of being part of a global multinational public company. You know, you can pitch for bigger contracts. You can get better facilities from banks. You can um, win clients more easily because you get this extra credibility. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of advantages in joining. Um, groups uh, like that. So yeah, we listed a company uh, just over a year ago called MBH Corporation PLC. It's a UK PLC. It's listed on the Zetra market in Germany, which is the Frankfurt uh, sort of main market. Um, and uh, it's a group of 12 companies. It's a bit over 100 million in revenue. We were the third fastest growing company in the whole of Europe last year. Um, and, uh, and we will continue to add more and more companies into uh, that group. And really, it's a, it's a platform for small to medium-sized businesses to, to go public without necessarily all the cost and trauma of uh, a traditional IPO.
1: And of course, when you increase that liquidity, you increase the valuation of that business as well.
0: Yeah. So over the long term, large public companies trade at a much higher multiple than small private ones. Um, but I do say over the long term, when you're a small cap company, um, you get enormous volatility in, in share price and things like that. But uh, but yeah, over over the long term, large public companies trade at much, much bigger multiples than small companies.
1: And so do you look to roll up business within certain sectors that can co-op into MBH or is it um, from what the investors want to back or how does that work?
0: Yeah, so M- MBH was uh, basically, um, it, it, standed, it stood for multi-business holdings and the idea was it was a diversified investment holding group. But one of the German press... Quickly picked up and called it Mini Berkshire Hathaway, which isn't a bad association to have. But, um, quite, yeah, yeah. If you look at Berkshire Hathaway back in the '80s, it was basically the safe pair of hands. If you ran a family firm and you'd like some liquidity but you wanted to carry on running your business, Berkshire Hathaway was the person that you called, um, and I, so that's where the similarity is. Because you know, effectively, people continue to run their business in the way that they want to. But they have the opportunity of liquidity and the platform to grow, and using MBH as a you know a, a name to get them more business, as indeed people would use Berkshire Hathaway in the same way. So um, uh, so yeah, that was that was kind of the the genesis of the idea. So at the moment, we have a group of companies all in the construction services space. We have a group of companies in the education services space. Uh, we have companies in the healthcare space, and companies in the leisure. Space and in leisure, it's um, specifically um, caravan and motorhomes, which have obviously been doing fantastically during the COVID. Uh, yeah. And nobody wants to go on cruise ships and nobody wants to yeah. go on planes. So, um, yeah. ageing. So uh, yeah, so that has been doing very well, and in fact, you know, all the businesses have, have uh, been able to um, uh, go through this crisis, you know, remarkably well.
1: Fantastic. So, you know, we, we we've talked about the um, different comp- contracting party risk. We've talked about um, working buyout as a model where you can earn the knowledge and earn the right to be able to engage as uh, uh, as a I guess the next successor in line and structure a deal like that. We talked about yeah. deal pie, financial engineering, uh, and the importance of taking the capital event, and you know, we touched on um, you know the insight around agglomeration and what you can do. This. This material, these strategies can be a game changer for a business owner that's Flogged themselves for two decades yes. or more in terms of building their business, it can have a game-changing done right overnight. Can have a game-changing to their not only their business but also their personal wealth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I bought my first business, it was it was an epiphany. You know, um, I, I think the the description I've often used is uh, I realised you didn't have to run the marathon; you could just run the last ten yards, and they still gave you a trophy. Um, It really was, you know, when when you're stuck in a paradigm where you think there's only one way to do something and you just figure out a completely different way to achieve even more, um, yeah, it's a a complete game changer. And I, I would encourage everybody to try and learn this stuff and understand this stuff because it's kind of, I think it's sort of a next level of entrepreneurship. You know, once you've figured out startup and product value and customer value and how you... You know, deal with staff and all of that sort of stuff. I think the next rung of the entrepreneurial ladder is shareholder value, and um, you know, building businesses through mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, uh, building your wealth through exits. I think this is a—it's just a huge and really exciting area. And I, I, I'm yeah, I'm really glad. Twenty years ago, I got steered in that direction. Um, obviously, bumped my head a whole bunch of times, but um, it's been a you know, a really fantastic journey compared to, you know, being stuck in that same staff and customers rut for 20 years. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's afforded me a, a fantastic lifestyle.
1: Can you bring to mind, either from your own experience or those from any of your students, um, any sort of case studies or stories where you've had a baby boomer struggling to sell the business, didn't want to give it away to the competition, and it's been a win for the retiring founder, but also... The uh, Harbour Club member has been able to then do something, take that business on and take it to the next level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I'll caveat this with um, I I always say to people don't deal with brokers, don't deal with agents that are trying to sell businesses. It's a waste of time. They manipulate the numbers. It's, you know, um, it's a complete waste of time. This person did actually find this one from a broker. So (laughs) let me just caveat with that. Um, And, uh, but basically, um, it's a guy called Steve in the Harbour Club. So he found it was a uh, chrome plating business, an engineering kind of business, I guess, for one of a better way of uh, putting it. It was based in Northamptonshire. Um, it owned its own real estate. The real estate was worth about 1.1 million in Northamptonshire. You get quite a lot of real estate. for 1.1 million. It's basically like an industrial uh, estate, which they occupy half of. The other half is sublet to other um, tenants. Uh, the business had about um, 400 grand of cash in the bank and was doing 200 grand a year profit. So if you just think about the core numbers there 1.1 million of real estate 400 grand cash in the bank 200 grand a year profit so anyway um the guy had it for sale for 1.7 million um which is not a greedy sum of money when you when you think you know the real estate plus the cash um already comes to 1.5 so he's basically asking for a year's worth of profit on top of the real estate and the cash in the bank so it's not a, yeah, he wasn't being fantastically greedy. Unfortunately, everybody else out in the big wide world only studies leveraged buyouts. So they just look at how much they can borrow against the business and then um, you know give that to the owner in cash. So what everybody would do is they would take it to a finance broker. The finance broker would give them maybe 600 grand worth of mortgage for the property. They then take 300 grand of the cash that was in the bank. I give it back to the owner, leaving hundred grand for sort of working capital. Maybe they could get another seventy or eighty grand in debtor finance or something like that. So, so they would leverage it right up to the gills in debt, but get somewhere around about a million of of cash. And so he was asking one point seven, and he kept getting these offers for a million, um, and uh, and saying no, 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 no. Now this guy was seventy-two years old. He had a he had a forty-year-old wife. So I guess that's a motivation to stop. Right? Um, Spend more time with the family. Um, But uh, um, but yeah, he'd had it for sale for two years, and everybody was lowballing him. Um, And so the Harbour Club had just turned around to him and said, "Um, "Look, I'll get you to your 1.7 million, but you're going to have to take um, payments over a period of time." And actually, he was quite clever. The way he framed it was, he said, "Look, I can I can get a mortgage and give you that cash, and then pay you over three or four years for the balance." But the challenge is if I screw something up, the bank will take everything under the mortgage arrangement. They'll just burn the thing to the ground and you won't get any more money. So if you take the position of the bank and I pay you the interest instead, it'll take a bit longer. I'll pay you over seven years, but you won't have that risk of um, the bank taking everything back. If I screw it up, you can take everything back. You'll get the real estate back. You'll get what's left of the business. You'll get everything else. You just have to wait seven years Uh, to get paid. And so first of all, his accountant said, don't do it. Um, The guy's not putting any of his own money in. Why on earth would you do that deal? And, um, you know, Steve's counterpoint was, well, look, you're 72 now. You were 70 when you started this process. How old exactly do you want to be by the time you found somebody that will actually, you know, um, do the deal? And he kind of, you know, said, yeah, yeah, you're right. overruled his accountant. The next one was the daughter saying, no, don't do it. (laughs) He's not putting any cash in of his own. And so actually Steve took out the whole family for dinner. In fact, he invited them to his house for dinner. Um, so the daughter, the, you know, the father, the wife, everybody, everybody come around for dinner, um, you know, uh, get to know the family kind of thing. So high levels of, of rapport and then closed uh, the deal. So he ended up doing, you know, a 1.1 million of real estate, 200 grand profit, 400 grand cash in the bank, zero cash at closing. All deferred payment over over seven years, and it was a, a fantastic win win. The guy had been trying to sell for, um, uh, for two years. He was just getting older, basically. Nothing else was changing, um, and uh, he got his one point seven. Um, he has to wait a little bit longer for it, but it gives him an income all the time, and he knows he's got that security. He's got the venture over the real estate and the business if uh, if everything goes wrong <coughs> in the future. So uh, yeah.
1: And the stories like that are great. So when for all parties concerned and the business has got new blood, new leadership, and uh, presumably there was a management team that would carry on and run and run that business.
0: Yeah. So interestingly, that was uh, that was one where the management team were all um, of a similar age to the owner, actually, or not quite as old, but in, in that uh, framework. So actually, he um, he did spend some time digitizing that business a bit um yep. you know uh literally everything was still done on paper ledgers and stuff like oh that. really uh, yeah so huge you know huge efficiency impact you could have as well
1: Fantastic. So a really exciting area. And yeah, I I love that distinction about the next stage of growth uh, as a a business uh, owner and finder is is, is moving on to building from balance sheet value to building shareholder value. If if there's business owners out here listening to this that want to learn more about the different strategies of how they can structure a deal, how they can keep themselves safe from a legal point of view, so they are protected, uh, how they can um, learn more about financial engineering, or even about agglomeration, how do they do that?
0: Yeah, so look, we have the Harbour Club, which is a big uh, membership organisation, you're a member, um, you know, that uh, we've got lots of people all around the world that are part of, but I wouldn't want people to dive straight in and, and join that, I want people to understand what it is we're, we're doing, and, and whether it's a fit for them or not first, so I actually designed a 21-day training course, it's a 21-day email training course, and we were deciding what to, we started it, like, a year ago um, building this thing and, uh, and we, we hadn't really decided what we were going to do with it when it was ready and it's now ready. Um, so what we've actually decided to do because of the COVID crisis and because the way the world is right now and I think there's a, just a massive opportunity, um, we're actually giving it away. Um, and we're giving it away if people buy my book which comes out in December. Um, so it's super simple. They just go to go do.deals, which is an awesome website name. Amazing. Um, <laughs> go Godo, do.deals, land on that website, order my book, it's like $19.99 or something like that. Um, and, uh, and you'll automatically, although the book doesn't come until December, you'll immediately get enrolled on this 21-day email course. So every day you'll get an email from us with videos, with a whole bunch of information. It takes you through how to find these opportunities off-market. It takes you through how to structure the deals, how to, or not not all of the steel structures, but some good ones you can use straight away, um, how to do some of the financial engineering stuff. It's got some of the wealth stuff that we talk about. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a really great course. I'm really proud of what, what we built. It took us ne- nearly uh, nine months to uh, um, to put it together. Um, and, yeah, you can get it free with the, with the book.
1: And you've also um, sort of shifted into the virtual realm in terms of delivering Harbour Club now?
0: Yeah, so obviously it always used to be a physical event. Um, We did our first virtual event in the middle of the COVID crisis and actually um, it works really well. Uh, We do it as a live stream. It's a a live event delivered virtually as opposed to a pre-recorded kind of uh, uh, event. And um, uh, yeah, it works really, really well. I'm in all the live Q&A sessions. I meet all the members through uh, sort of chat rooms that we join and stuff like that. Um, and uh, you can get so much more content in through a virtual course because when you do it at a, at a hotel you're herding people in and out of rooms sure. or, uh, always late starting and all this sort of stuff so the, the course is now about a good three hours longer um, than it was pre-COVID we've, we've been able to push loads of extra kind of content and extra stuff in there so yeah it's really fantastic and the feedback we get is amazing so um, yeah I'm very happy with that
1: Jeremy, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, anybody listening, go to go do.deals I properly love that URL. The, you, the title of the book, the significance of how, why that is such a good URL, by the way, is that Jeremy's book is called Go Do Deals. So how and that's just amazing to get a URL, go do.deals. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and uh, the value you've added today. I uh, really appreciate it. Fantastic.
0: Good luck, everyone out
1: there. I hope you're keeping safe. See you soon. Thank you, Jeremy. Some real standout points for there. Um, work in buy out as a potential strategy to get a no money down deal. So if you're a consultant out there and you want to be able to demonstrate your skill swap your time, your skills, your contacts in order to be able to help grow a business and in exchange instead of for cash, for equity. Deal pie, you know, how you structure the deal with the different components of how they're gonna get paid over time and have that thought in mind that if they're asking prices, say 1 million, let's see how we can get you to that 1 million. And then the importance of taking capital out, of creating capital events. Jeremy said that the mistake he made was hanging on to a business too long, that actually you make money when you sell. Thank you, Jeremy. Remember, you can go and grab yourself a copy of his new book, Go Do Deals, and his URL is very apt, Go do.deals. So go and check out his book, Go godo.deals.
0: You've been listening to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms. Enjoy more success and create more impact.